in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. Thinking about the NBA playoffs last night, and you're watching a couple series kind of start to go in a direction of the favorited teams with the Miami Heat blowing out the Philadelphia 76ers and, of course, the Phoenix Suns doing the same with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, listen, there's been a lot of love in regards to Philadelphia, and, and I really do think this is a good squad. Um, I think they can beat Miami in a seven-game series. I don't think that will be an absolute shock if that's what turns out to happen. But, you know, you look at the Heat, and when they're, they're shooting the way they were last night, it's going to be very hard to beat them. However, you know, you're looking at Philadelphia, another game in their own home arena. James Harden, you know, his emergence in game four, which I think really put the 76ers on the same level as the Miami Heat. Uh, would it shock anybody if Philadelphia won? No. Would it shock anybody if the series went seven games Probably not. I've been saying this all along, though. I believe Miami is just as good as their record says they are. Just as good as the number one seed that they earned in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think they're getting anywhere near as much respect as they deserve here. I think the one series that's going to be interesting, the one that's going to be worth watching, following all the way down to the final moment, which you expect to go seven games, is the Boston-Milwaukee series. And Milwaukee in in a position here where if they you know they they drop a game um, here in Boston, they're going to be in a very difficult spot, similar to Philadelphia against Miami, similar to what Dallas is going to have to deal with against the Phoenix Suns. But I think the Boston Milwaukee series is the is that that's a series to watch. Um, do I believe that Philadelphia has no chance against Miami? No, I still think Miami's going to win. The other series, I think, are done. Memphis, who had a great opportunity, led the majority of the game you know, in California against the Warriors, a chance to even that series up without John Morant, and the Warriors won that game. And the reason that Memphis isn't going to get another shot to, to do what they did in, in Game 4 you look at Golden State, at one point, the players not named Otto Porter, shooting three for 26 from three. That's not going to happen again. I'm sorry, Steph Curry's not going to do that again. Clay Thompson's not going to do that again. Jordan Poole and anybody else throwing bombs up there for the Golden State Warriors are not going to shoot at a three for 26 clip. So I would expect that series to end um, in, in five games. But Memphis chance to play at home. Maybe they get a little rise out of the crowd in game five. John Morant, maybe he could you know, have his Willis Reed moment coming off the bench or start and when, when maybe they, people don't expect him to play. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with the playoffs. A little bit of a somber note, and I want to bring this up at the beginning of the program. Uh, legendary center, big man, Bob Lanier passed away. And, you know, I... As a, as, as a fan that followed basketball probably starting in the late 80s into the 90s, uh, didn't get a chance to really acknowledge 
from his own, you know, from watching day to day how good of a player Bob Lanier was. And, you know, when I hear his name, I hear the reference that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made in the movie Airplane. You know, you try dragging Walton and Lanier up and down the court for, for 48 minutes. And, and in the Hall of Fame center, obviously, is his, his best time or, or 10 seasons he played with the Detroit Pistons before he finished off his career with the Milwaukee Bucks. But one of the things that stands out is the impact that Bob Lanier had after his post-playing career. Spent about 30 years you know, working with the NBA, working with younger players, um, kind of being an ambassador to the NBA. Commissioner Adam Silver acknowledged that in his statement on Lanier's passing. Um, you're looking at a, a, a very good center in a, in a big man age. And certainly the game has changed now. It's very hard for somebody to dominate as a center. You know, imagine Bob Lanier going out there shooting three-pointers. I mean, the guy may, I think he, I think he may have thrown, if I'm not mistaken, maybe one or two up in his entire career. Now, let's, you know, call it for what it is. I mean, three-point shots didn't start until the 1979-1980 season. So, you know, that, that, you know, was, was something that didn't, he didn't have much of a chance to do. But looking at three-point shots, the guy in two, four, six, seven years, that the three-point shot existed during Bob Lanier's playing career, he took a total of 13 three-point shots, made two of them, one in 1979-1980, I'm sorry, yeah, and then another one the next year in 1980-1981, and you, you look at a, a day and age now that we live in where the biggest players on the court are shooting three-pointers because that's got to be part of their game. I can't imagine Kareem doing that. I can't imagine Shaq doing that. And Shaq was a player that I got to see his entire career. Kareem, of course, I kind of watched the tail end over in those last couple of years. But I, I keep saying there's a, a lot that a lot of disrespect that goes towards the big man in the National Basketball Association. And you look at somebody like the Greek Freak. You look at somebody like Embiid, and they're different type of players. Yes, they could rebound. They could, um, you know bring their physical presence into the game by taking a ball to the basket at any moment, draw fouls, block shots, all of that. But a lot of their game is outside you know, the arc, outside of that little area where you consider them when you think of the big man. You think of the big man that's out there protecting the rim. And, and that's what Bob Lanier did. He was, you know, he was right up there with the Bill Waltons and the Kareems. Um, you know, towards the tail end of, of Wilt's career, of course. You know, and you think of just some of the dominant big men that played in the game. You know, Bob Pettit, I thought, was, you know, uh, one of the top players of all time that few people discuss. Now, I think it's easy to say, hey, Bob Lanier's past. Let's rank him. Let's, you know, put him, whether it's a top 75 or wherever he ranks in the NBA. But I tell you, it's so hard to judge the dominant players that have played in NBA history because I think so much is centered around the game the way it's played right now and Bob Lanier to go out there and to crash the boards and he wasn't a, a tremendous rebounder he averaged 6.8 I'm sorry he averaged 10 10 for his career you know he wasn't in uh, the Wilt category who was you know some sometimes getting 50 rebounds a game but he was solid 
He was a 20 and 10 player. Yeah, he'd go out there and he'd give the Detroit Pistons and later on the Milwaukee Bucks a great chance to win. And like I said, his impact on the game as an ambassador uh, means a ton to NBA and its history. So rest in peace to Bob Lanier, one of the top offensive power players, big men to ever play in the NBA. Uh, Hall of Famer, of course, inducted in 1992. So, uh, you know, God bless and uh, rest in peace, Bob Lanier. So you had a no-hitter thrown last night, a complete game no-hitter, which stands out because it's it's pretty cool. I, I, didn't, I don't know how many times we're going to see that again. Now listen, when a pitcher's got it on, a pitcher can get it to a point where they're throwing around 100 pitches through nine innings. You, know, you certainly want to want that pitcher to get that chance to throw that nine-inning nine complete game no-hitter. Um, the Mets, who threw a team effort, five pitchers, led by um, Tyler McGill, threw the first no-hitter of the season. But Reed Detmers throws a complete game no-hitter for the uh, Los Angeles Angels, a team that, by the way, isn't getting a ton of credit. You know, they're sitting there in first place in the, in the AL West, a team that we've talked about, Shohei Otani and his dominance being the MVP. Last year, Mike Trout being the best player in Major League Baseball over the last decade or so, and a team that, for whatever reason, has not gotten that, gotten themselves in the playoffs very often. Just a one appearance in 2014. Well, you're looking at an AL West, which may be a little bit different, or a little, or I, I think, honestly, is as strong as it's ever been. And if there was a moment where the Los Angeles Angels were going to get lost in a shuffle like they have over the past, most of the past 10 years, it would be this season. The Houston Astros, yes, they lost Carlos Correa. But, you know, the expectations were that they were going to, to, to be almost as good as they were last year. The Texas Rangers went out there and got themselves a half a billion dollar middle infield. And some of the other moves they made, whether it's John Gray, Mitch Garver, uh, even Cole Calhoun. You know, this is a team that's expected to be competitive. And the Seattle Mariners, basically the bridesmaids at a postseason of last year, were right on the outside looking in. Very well. Could have made the playoffs. Won 90 games. I mean, how many teams go out there and win 90 and not make it to the postseason? So you're looking at the Angels, the Astros, the Rangers, the Seattle Mariners. And then you got the Oakland Athletics who for whatever reason, kind of defy logic every year. They dump all their players. They can give the slightest shit about winning. The, you know, the owner has made it very clear that he, 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 just wants, he just wants to turn a profit. He, whether he cares or doesn't care about them getting the stadium, you, know, you can hear all that, the semantical bullshit, everything else that you want to hear in regards to whether they're getting a new stadium, whether they're allowed to get a stadium, whether Oakland wants to support them financially, whether the owner doesn't, you know, doesn't want to, you know, appropriate the funds to it. I mean, if the guy can't put enough money aside to have a decent payroll, a payroll that is expected to compete in Major League Baseball, then I have no respect 
or I have no empathy for the fact that he can't get a stadium deal done. But, you know, this is supposed to be the year of the Seattle Mariners. And I think, you know, you look at the young players that they brought in, the trade they made with the Reds to get uh, Suarez and Winker. Julio Rodriguez is up there. Kellenic, you know, is out there hitting 141 again. But, you know, they made the trade for Adam Frazier. Ty France has very quietly become a star. J.P. Crawford is their dude at shortstop. 941 OPS so far this year. And you look, <coughs> excuse me, at a team that made the, the move to get the Cy Young Award winner in Robbie Ray. Chris Flexen, who's a, somebody that they invested in over the past couple years. For the former Met, Logan Gilbert, um, their top prospect. And their, their other top prospect in regards to George Kirby, who's up there. There's a lot of people that are drinking a Kool-Aid of the Seattle Mariners this year, which if you look at, at the Angels, I, I know we're talking 30-plus games in, but I think you, it is time to take them seriously. Now, listen, they had a moment. It's nice when you have that moment where a pitcher throws a no-hitter. You get to kind of have the closest thing to a celebration. You have that celebration at the end of the year if and when you make the playoffs. But, you know, when, when you get to rush the field and – you know, it's not the same in a walk-off. Everybody has a walk-off over the course of the year. You know, you make those moments special, but you have something that culminates in a moment of a, a no-hitter. You know, I, listen, I like the Angels this year. I probably picked them to finish first place. Let me just check it because I, I got my standings right here of what I predicted. Did I pick the Angels to finish first again? It's pretty much what I've what I've been doing for the, the course of the past decade when it comes to the PBS. No, I did pick I picked the Mariners at ninety wins, the Angels at eighty eight wins. But one of one of the things that I continue to do each year, and I do it incorrectly, and I do it wrong, <laughs> I pick the Angels to win the division in the American League West every year. And maybe I finally backed off and I said, let's go with a different team, but I got the Angels in the playoffs. And from a pitching perspective, I'll tell you this. If Michael Lorenzen is a legitimate Major League starter, which I don't know if he is. Here's a guy that's bounced back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation and also a little bit of the outfield when he's playing for the Reds because the guy could hit. Does he fit a spot in that rotation with Detmers, with Noah Syndergaard, who you know is going to be on an innings limit, Shohei Otani? Um, you know, has looked dominant as a starting pitcher this year. Patrick Sandoval, the the left the left hander. I think he's got the ability to be a major part of this rotation. Rosel Iglesias, who signed that long term extension, and Aaron Luke. By the way, you know, you know, Mets fans are going to sit here and say, "Hey, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out." Aaron Luke, you know, you're never going to have a a year as great as you had with the Mets in 2021 and maybe that was the time for him to go out there and cash it in and he is just about as good this year as he's been last year he's got a, a lower whip albeit a smaller sample size um you know, you're looking at somebody that is just as dominant this year as he was last year he pitched to a 0 95 earn run average with the mets in 2021 in 65 games he's at 138 right now but like i said the about half the whip He's not allowing that many base runners. Two walks and four hits in 13 innings. His ERA plus is 273 going up against the 427 that it was last year. Um, 
And, and if I'm the Mets, maybe I'm starting to look back and say, well, you know, why couldn't you do two years and uh, $17 million to bring back Aaron Loop? You know, you look at the, the Mets and their bullpen and I don't know. They're getting some results through mirrors right now, but you're looking at a series of pitchers that did not do well last year. And the ones that have been there since 2019 have struggled off and on for the past couple of years. You're going to tell me that Chazen Shreve, and you're going to tell me that um, Joely Rodriguez, you're going to tell me that the emergence of Drew Smith all of a sudden makes that a major league caliber bullpen. We'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm down if that's the case. You know, the Mets bullpen has really been bad for the majority of the past four years. And I haven't seen that player that has been put in that situation that has made them a lot better. Now, maybe the one thing that could help the Mets down the road, and as you see, I've kind of diverted my attention from the AL West to the Mets for just a brief second, is the thought of Jacob DeGrom coming back. And DeGrom in the news because the Mets just placed him on the 60-day DL. Um, kind of a, a semantical move. Not, not a big surprise. The expectation is that from the start of the MLB season, Jacob DeGrom wouldn't be going back to a major league mound until after the season is 60 days old anyway. So my thought is DeGrom, if he is healthy, and I, listen, when I see him on a major league mound, when I see him get through five starts, get through 10 starts without any sort of complaint of anything in his arm or his shoulder or his elbow, then I'll start to believe that Jacob DeGrom's got a chance to become Jacob DeGrom and the Cy Young Award winner he was in 2018 and 2019. Now, what that does is it adds to the depth of the New York Mets rotation with not only Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett, but Carlos Carrasco pitching well, Tyler McGill, you know, the, uh, the starter of the first no-hitter of this season. And you look at the depth that they have in that starting rotation. Taiwan Walker, very solid pitcher in his own right. So what the Mets may have the ability to do with a healthy DeGrom, and assume, assuming the other starters in their staff stay healthy, is they get a chance maybe to move somebody to the bullpen. I don't know if it'll be willingly, but you get somebody throwing the ball, I don't know, from the 94-95 that they throw to the 98-99 by airing it out for an inning or two. All of a sudden, the Mets bullpen looks a little bit stronger, and maybe they're a little closer to that championship team that they aspire to be coming in. But my last thought when it comes to the Angels, listen, the Angels are already pitching much better than they were last year. Some of it's you know, Detmers and Syndergaard and Lorenzen, all, all pitchers that were not um, integral parts of the Angels rotation last year. I mean, Detmers just made his Major League debut last August. Um, 740 ERA and five starts at the end of the season last year. I know he makes the rotation this year. The expectation is that he he's going to play a major role here. And maybe his first moment where he kind of uh, gets himself on the map with that no-hitter. But the Angels, if they're able to pitch, I mean, you still look at that offense. You got the defending MVP. You got the in uh, Otani. You got the three-time MVP in Mike Trout, and he's healthy. Uh, you forget that Anthony Rendon's on that team. Jared Walsh um, hit a bunch of home runs last year for the Angels. Kind of went under the radar. Uh, you know, his really his first full season in 2021, and he went out there and hit 29 home runs. And 
uh, OPS 850 basically led to the team releasing Albert Pujols. This is a team that you know is going to be able to hit. And the question has been, were they ever going to invest enough when it comes to pitching? And their owner kind of holds them back a little bit because he doesn't want to sign pitchers to long-term deals. That's something that he, you know, he told Billy Epler. He's told Perry Minison. And, and that's, the, that's just the way it's going to be. He's, he's the owner. You know, you got to basically listen to the owner. You may not agree with the owner. Certainly don't agree with the owner in Oakland who doesn't have any interest in having a winning team there. And a great job by the Oakland fans or the people in that region for boycotting and not being part of that that attendance figure. You know, you want to have an all-time low attendance figure to not necessarily force a team to move. But how about get a little bit of a better a better place to play? Yeah, you got the Oakland Coliseum, which has been up there forever. You know, it's not in a very good place. And you got a team that has had so much promise, has developed so many good young players. And it's just embarrassing. Yeah, they got 100,000 fans that have come to their ballpark so far this season. That's the lowest attendance in baseball. And like I said, it's not because people over there don't want to see baseball. They're just tired of the bullshit. They're tired of the fact that, you know, the Oakland Athletics are never going to have a team that's going to win a World Series. They're never going to hold the team together long enough. And then you look at the other team that you've all of a sudden you've heard something out of the owner. The owner wants to go out there and speak. And we're talking about the Cincinnati Reds, worst team in baseball right now. And you'll wonder how much the players are feeding off of the negative vibes when it comes to the owner. And I don't think anybody expected the Reds to do anything crazy this year. I don't think anybody expected the Reds to surprisingly compete for a playoff spot. This is a team that moved on from Sonny Gray, made the before-mentioned trade with the Mariners, dealing Suarez and Winker away. Um, they let Nick Castellanos walk. They've won a couple games this past week, but still at 6-24 and 24 is not good. And it's not good in a, in a region that appreciates and loves baseball as much as Cincinnati does. How many years was it that the first game of the year was played in Cincinnati? That's just the way it was. There was no... There was no change to baseball. It wasn't alternated amongst different stadiums. Opening day was Cincinnati. And this is a team that has basically seen a run that it could have made this year. The Brewers, the Cardinals, to a lesser extent the Cubs. You know, you're thinking about that division in the National League Central. And, and listen, if they brought Castellanos back, if they invested in the players that they had and didn't make some of the deals that they had, uh, I, I think they could compete. You know, the owner made a decision that, hey, he wasn't going to pay players. You know, Luis Castillo, um, back on the mound now, is probably going to be the next player shipped out there. And you look at this roster, and it's, it's a weak roster. It is. You're combining a couple young players, like let's say a Hunter Green, that you're trying to get some major league experience. Uh, 
And you look at an offensive team where it's got an injured Joey Votto, who, by the way, was only hitting 122 when he got, whether it's COVID or he's on the protocols or whatever he's doing. Mike Moustakis, not giving you very much. Tommy Pham, basically an outcast, was a free agent. And the Reds say, hey, we'll use him to help fill out a roster. Tyler Naquin. Yeah, this is this is a bad baseball team. Brandon Drury getting some PT. And I'm happy for Brandon Drury. I'm also happy for Matt Reynolds, a guy who hasn't gotten a chance to play a lot in the major leagues. But when you got teams that are tanking, and it, you know, tanking is a different issue, something you could bring up and talk about, but you just got a, a roster that is not set up to give the fans what they what it is that they're looking for. And the Reds had a chance to halfway it and show that they gave a little more of a shit. And the problem is they don't. You know, the owner doesn't care there. The owner doesn't realize what part of Americana he is representing when it comes to baseball history. Baseball in Cincinnati means the world to those fans out there. And you could say, oh, well, when it comes to Oakland, maybe they don't have enough people to go to the stadiums. Now, listen, they'll, they'll draw. They, they draw during the playoffs. You know, when they, when they put a competitive team on the field, when Matt Chapman was there, when Marcus Simeon was there, when they had players that could play, the fans showed up. But once again, they, when they get a smack in the face and they're told that the ownership, front office, they could care less about having a strengthened product on the field, then why should the fans show up? And hopefully people in Cincinnati, and I listen, I know if you're a season ticket holder out there, in many cases you're talking about generations going back to uh, Riverfront Stadium and Crosley Field. You know, the fans that have supported that franchise for a long time. And if you're a third or fourth generation season ticket holder in Cincinnati, it's not going to be that easy to just boycott and not show up. I mean, plus your tickets are paid for. So whether you show up or not, you're 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 counting against the attendance as it exists. And there's just so much good about baseball in Cincinnati to watch it go into the situation that it is. And it's not like their farm system is loaded with a ton of high-end prospects. Like everybody in Major League Baseball, they got some. They got some players out there. But if I'm following the Reds, I'm looking at a, a trio of ex-Mets. Matt Reynolds hitting over 300 now. Albert Almora, who played for the Mets last year, is hitting 375 in five games. I know it's a small sample size. Brandon Drury hitting 274 with a 912 OPS. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, you're looking at a, a once proud franchise kind of stooping to the level, at least for the year, of the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I keep going back to this because this frustrates me. I think, you know, when, when I was growing up, and I was starting to learn about baseball history. There was a lot involved in the 60s and the 70s when it came to the Orioles and the Pirates. Those were teams that were getting to the postseason every year, um, getting to the World Series in, in Baltimore's case in what, 66, uh, 69, 70, 71, and then again in 79. Pirates winning, of course, in 71 and 79. And really, you're, you're watching for the better part of the last decade, both, both teams kind of sputtering. I believe a little more in the Pirates and general manager Ben Sherrington. I think he's a good baseball guy. I think he's doing some of the right things. I think in the end, there's going to be some fruits 
of this rebuild that's set for the Pirates and what they're doing right now. I don't believe the same in the Baltimore Orioles and Mike Elias. I don't. Because you're looking at four or five years. Yes, there's a prospect here, a prospect there. And I get that the American League East is a competitive division. All four of the other teams are expected to get into the playoffs. That's how good they all are. And then you got the Orioles. But when are you going to see some fruits of this rebuild? Because, you, you know, you're sitting there, you basically took a job because you worked for the Houston Astros. You were in the front office with the Houston Astros when they did the things they did. Now, I think it's time for some accountability. When do you look in the mirror and realize what you're doing is not working? This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check out the show on Spotify, uh, anywhere you find your podcast, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos, on YouTube. We'll do another show this Saturday talking about everything going on in the world of sports. You want to contact me, send me an email, jrpelli at gmail.com. Tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. Or, like I said, send me a text or a call, 732-513-5927. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books my apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.